How many of you remember uh, this little craft thing that came out many years ago? Maybe some of you even have one of these things. They've been around for a good number of years. <coughs> I can remember first glancing at that, and I thought it was Korean. I didn't see the word Jesus in it. I just saw a bunch of white things. It wasn't until my eyes kind of adjusted that, oh, that's the name of Jesus. Uh, it reminds us, uh, church, that when people look at Jesus, uh, they, don't, they don't see him. They see things around him. They see the context of which he lived. Sometimes when we show people the word of God, they don't see Jesus. They don't see God in that. They just see words on a page. It's only until we start connecting the dots, until we start revealing, oh, there's the J, there's the E, the S and U-S. Now, now I see it. And oftentimes uh, we look at sort of these optical illusions, and there are other ones that are out there with Jesus. Um, we have to help people connect the dots so that they can see what we see, and they can't. Does that make sense? Second Corinthians um, says that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of men so that they cannot see the glory of God. And so they, two people can be looking directly at this particular little craft. One sees it and the other one doesn't. And that's the perplexity of the world we live in. And it's also the sort of the hardship that we have as followers of Christ as we point out things to people and they just shake their head and say, Dan, I just can't see it. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Well, that's because of that spiritual malady or disease. There's a blindness that's going on there. Peter and the other uh, disciples were experiencing the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and some people were earnestly seeking to know if this was from God. They were asking, actually, the question, what is this? They really wanted to know. They wanted to engage. They wanted someone to say, how is this connected? Other people quickly dismissed it. If you remember last week's message, those people rose up and said that they were what? They were drunk. They were just babbling on as a bunch of drunkards were. And so Peter... Out of the 11, had to stand up and he had to start connecting the dots. In other words, the Jewish people had difficulty seeing or spiritually understanding what was taking place before them. And Peter had to connect the spiritual dots for the people to see that this outpouring of the predicted Holy Spirit by the prophet Joel was happening right before their eyes. But this outpouring was simply a dot in a larger picture the main point of the divine outpouring wasn't to show that the prophet was right. It wasn't to actually reveal the Holy Spirit. The larger point that was taking place here was connecting the dots so that they could see Jesus. Does that make sense, church? That's what's going on. We could get sidetracked very easily, and there are some denominations that do. They leave off the primacy of Jesus, and it's all about the Holy Spirit now. It's the Holy Spirit does this, Holy Spirit does that, and we know that there's extremes because we went on the other extreme. Deb and I were very ultra-conservative type people. We hardly ever talked about the Holy Spirit. It was all about Jesus. There's a balance in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
But Peter is standing up trying to navigate that and connecting the dots with the Jewish people so, so that they just didn't see the Holy Spirit showing up. But why did the Holy Spirit show up? What is this connected to? That's the point of our passage in Acts. Remember that speaking in other tongues was speech that was declaring the wonders of God. The inference there is the person of Jesus' work, his death, and most importantly, as we're going to see over and over in the book of Acts, is the resurrection of Christ. Also remember that Peter's sermon didn't stop by just quoting Joel. We stopped there last Sunday, but that was not the end of his sermon. That was the beginning of it. He addressed the, the, um, the emergent need to understand why are all you speaking in tongues? Peter said, this is that. This is that. Prophecy is unfolding before your eyes. That's what Peter had to address. But Peter knew that the Holy Spirit was not the main point. It was a dot in a larger picture of who Jesus was. Peter now had their attention because in the Joel prophecy, he not only talked about the Holy Spirit, but the last two verses talked about the coming judgment of God as well. That was yet to come. So with all ears ready to hear, now Peter's going to launch into his formal sermon. And I'm going to ask you to turn there, if you would, please, to the book of Acts, the second chapter, beginning in verse 22, Acts 2 and 22. I want to give you a little um, information about uh, apostolic sermons. Um, we sort of learned these things in uh, hermeneutics and homiletics, which is the, the art or the science of bringing a message and also interpreting the scriptures, both of those things. And I want to give you four points because four of those, all four actually, are going to be your points today. As we end our service, we're going to look at three of those in particular today. The fourth is going to be next week, but I want to give you all four. They're all questions, all right? The questions that the apostolic sermons in one way or another get after is, who is Jesus? Who is he? So from a personal point of view, not only myself, but you, I want you to begin asking that question. If someone is asking you, now in this question, Peter is asking them, but it's a good question for all of us to be reminded of to see if we can get it. Who is Jesus? All right? Got that one? Second one, what happened to Jesus? Did he live a long life, get married, have a bunch of kids, and is buried in Jerusalem somewhere? What happened to him? All right? Third, how is Jesus the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies? Why is that important? Because it validates who he was. If you have prophecies that were 600 years old, 700, 800, more than 1,000 years old, and they're pointing to Jesus, statistically speaking, and he fulfills every single one of them, you better pay attention to that. Who is Jesus? What happened to him? How is he connected to the Old Testament prophecies? In other words, is, the, is he the Messiah? Is the, the anointed one to come? And then the fourth one is this. What do you do with that? How do you respond to that? If you've answered all three of those questions, who is Jesus? What happened to him? Is he the, is he the 
the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the anointed one, the Messiah? How is he connected to that? Because it validates who he is. If you know all three of those things, then what are you going to do with Jesus? There's your point. Does that make sense? And all God's people said, all right, let's see if we can hear that now, shall we? All right. So who is Jesus? Uh, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Now, if we just explode that text, which is exactly what we're going to do this morning, we're going to ask the question, who is Jesus? The first thing I see is, who is Jesus? He's from? He's from Nazareth. The Jewish people would have known that. They know their geography. They know where he was from. All right. He grew up in Nazareth, but he lived in Capernaum in the north, on the north side of the Galilean Sea. He's from Nazareth. Something to, to not miss is that he was a he was a man. He was just like you. He got tired, he ate, he drank, he enjoyed weddings, he enjoyed fellowship, he experienced persecution. All of the things that we do so he could represent us in who he was. Accredited by God. What does that mean? Accredited. It just means validated. It means verified. So he was accredited. He was validated or verified by whom? By God the Father to you, you Jewish people. And how did he do that? Instead of reading the scriptures, let me read through some things um, just to see how this might listen or hear. We might hear this differently. How did he do that? By making the lame walk, by making the dumb talk, the deaf hear, by casting out demons and raising the dead, by restoring the leper and opening the eyes of the blind, by stopping the flow of blood and straightening the bones and so many other miracles that John couldn't write them down. They would have filled a library, he says at the end of his gospel. Sometimes it's good to put those in human context rather than using divine words like this that really don't mean anything to us. He was accredited to God, to you, by God, by miracles and wonders and signs. Those are nice-sounding divine words, but let's be specific about what God did. He changed people's lives. He transformed them like no other man could do in fulfillment, by the way, of Isaiah 61. All right? And he did that through him. Now, don't miss the last sentence of this because it's important. All right. He did these things, miracles, wonders and signs, by which God did among uh, among you through him as you yourselves. What? You know this. You know this is a fact. You've either seen Jesus do this or you heard testimony of all these things that Jesus did. This is who he is. This is part of the sermon, all right? I want you to notice something, though. Peter has not yet mentioned that Jesus is who? The Son of God. Why? Because they would have immediately rejected him. So Peter does something that good preachers do when they're speaking to a group of unbelievers, they don't start with that which is contentious. They start with that which is in common. We know where Jesus was. He was a, he's a homeboy. He's from Nazareth. He's up north. He's a man. He's male. We know that. He's in the synagogue. He read it. He's a rabbi. 
He was verified by God. We've seen him do all these miracles. Can we all agree on that? That Jesus was a, a, a person who existed in our midst and he did all these things? Can we all agree on that? See, that's Peter's thing. That's his question. That's the question to all the Jewish people gathered for Pentecost that he's preaching to right now. Can we all agree on this? And everybody's probably shaking their head at this point. Yeah, well, we, we all agree about that. All right. Well, what happened to the guy? It sounds like a really good guy. It sounds like somebody you want in your neighborhood. Yes, church? Absolutely. I want him living next door to me. So what happened to Jesus? Whoops. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, you put him to death by nailing him to the, to the cross. However, God had another plan. But God also did what, church? He raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. What happened to Jesus? He was handed over to his own people. If I was Peter speaking, I would say he was handed over to you. But I want you to know this didn't happen by chance. Peter would later write in his own epistle that Jesus was chosen before the foundations of the world to be the sacrificial lamb. The one to make payment for all our sins. Jesus' death wasn't a mistake. It wasn't something he was not in control of. It was part of the divine plan of God the Father. And part of that plan was to use sinful people. You, the Jews. And especially deep-seated wicked men. Like Caiaphas, Ananias, fulfilling the curse of the law in Deuteronomy 22, they had him hung on a tree. And even though this was God's plan, Peter said, you are the ones being responsible for his death. Does that make sense? You're going to see this in the chapters ahead with the spiritual leaders, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're going to say this to the, to the apostles, which, by the way, is interesting because in the Gospels, the 12 are always called disciples, but in Acts and following, they're called the apostles. Interesting note. But the religious leaders are always saying to the apostles, why are you trying to blame us for this guy's death? Isn't that interesting? And their answer always is, because you killed him. How about that for an answer? That's what Peter's doing. He's laying blame where it goes. Because the Jewish people were saying, well, we didn't kill him. The Romans did. No, the Romans killed him because you called them to crucify him. So Peter's putting things in perspective here. Right? God's plan, however, was not to keep his son in the ground. It was to resurrect him. So God raised him from the dead, giving him new life, like a baby being delivered from the dark womb of its mother. It's an interesting word there. Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony. It's what we call one of those transliterated words, which means it's, it's a word in Greek, and they just changed a few letters and brought it over. So the Greek word is agonizo. 
which is where we get our word, agony. It's actually a birthing term. Isn't that interesting? And I like the phrasing on this, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. It might be hard for, you, for us to understand that, but if we put it in, in uh, motherhood terms, we begin to understand this. When a woman is, uh, is pregnant and she's in her ninth month and she's about ready to give birth, first and foremost, she wants it out. I'm a guy. I'm just saying. I heard. All right. <laughs> I'm pretty heard. I don't know this personally, but she wants it out. However, I want you to think about in this context, the, the child uh, wants to come out, but the womb is holding it in. Does that make sense? That's the agonizo. It's the restraining. It's the holding on of something until it's freed and released. That's what's talking about in that, that particular passage there. That death had a bear hug on Jesus, but God the Father did what? Use the word that I just gave you, though. He birthed. Ah, he birthed Jesus. So Jesus is now the first fruits of those who are born of the dead. He's the first one to rise with a new life in him. I think that's incredibly important for us to understand. That's what Peter's trying to say. He's trying to say Jesus Christ was released from the very thing that holds every one of us back, death itself, and God the Father freed him from that like a baby coming out of the womb, receiving new life in this new place. That's what happened to Jesus because it was impossible for what, church? For death to keep its hold on him. That's a powerful statement from Peter as he looks through that, all right? So who is Jesus? What happened to him, all right? The Jews sent him over to be killed, to be crucified, but God had other plans. He raised him from the dead, and he was given new life, rebirth, if you would, please, uh, first fruits of the dead, as Paul would say again. That's what happened to him. All right, well, I don't believe it. Well, all right, well, let's talk about the connection of Jesus to the Old Testament. So they're going to, Peter's going to pick up two of the patriarchs that are always mentioned in the lineage of, of, of Jesus. The first one is the first word, David. Who's the other one, by the way? If you look at the genealogy of Matthew 1 and 1, who, who does... Who is Jesus? Abraham. Abraham and David are the two that they always go to, all right, when it talks about the Messiah. David said about him, so he goes to King David, this messianic forebearer. Jesus said, or David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not be you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David did what? He died, he was buried, more importantly, 
Guess where he's at? He's still here. He's in his tomb to this very day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And there's just a side note that if you're taking notes, Psalm 132 and 11 is actually quoted in this passage in 31. Seeing, or as far as the oath being taken in 30. 31, seeing what was to come prophetically, he spoke of what? The resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God had raised this Jesus to life. And by the way, we are all witnesses. That's what we're here to talk to you about. Who is Jesus? We just told you what happened to him. We just told you. How is it connected to the prophets? We're trying to help you to see that too. We're trying to connect the, go- the dots for you so that you see who Jesus is. So number four, you can respond to him appropriately. David is dead and buried, still in the tomb. Jesus died and was buried. Change of story. He's alive. David prophesied that this would happen and it would be an indicator of the true Messiah, the true anointed one to come. We don't often, excuse me, think of that. The resurrection was the fulfillment of the verification that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. David prophesied about this, by the way, a thousand years before Jesus came on the scene. A thousand years Before Jesus came on the scene. And Jesus fulfilled all of those psalm, prophetic psalms, to the very nth of the degree. Amazing to think about that. So where is he then? Great question. Let's turn to King David again and look with me at verse 32. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised... Oh, connection. You see it? Exalted to, the right, exalted to the right hand of God, which, by the way, is what got him killed. Because he claimed to be God by that statement, by the way. If you look at the Jewish trial before Pilate. He exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has, common word for us in Acts chapter 1 and 2, poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven and yet said, the Lord said to my Lord. If you look that back up in uh, Psalm 110 in Hebrew, it makes it a whole lot easier to understand this. It says this. I'll, I'll just give you the two Hebrew words that are important. It says, Yahweh said to Adoni. You see the difference? In Hebrew, they're not using the same words at all. God said to my Lord, Jesus used that very same statement to argue against the Jews, by the way. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Peter's pulling from Psalm 110 and verse 1, but he's not using the passage to verify or to support uh, or to, uh, to argue the deity of Jesus. He's assuming the deity of Jesus. And he's demonstrating the deity of Jesus by the giving, promise giving of the Holy Spirit of God himself. 
Look at the conclusion of the sermon in 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has, has made this Jesus. I love that little word, by the way. This one, not another. This one that we've been talking about. This Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. How about that for an ending of a sermon? Here's Jesus. Here's who Jesus is. And by the way, I'm condemning you in the process. You're the ones that killed him. Now let's go home and have some lunch, shall we? What a powerful way to end a sermon. You know, sometimes I think that uh, I was with a group of pastors this week. They were talking to me about the conference coming up in the end of March, which I hope you can attend to. We're talking about false expectations of congregation members of church and false expectations of pastors of their congregation members as it has to do with church. And one of the things that I said was, I think sometimes we come to church to receive a wow. But sometimes God wants us to come to church and receive an ow. Did that make sense? Yeah. Sometimes we come to church and we just, we always just want to be lifted up and make, we want to ha have the pastor or other people lift us up and encourage us. And, and that's not a bad thing to do. I think we should do that with each other on Sundays. But sometimes, as in the, the example that Peter gives, those people did not leave the church service very well. In fact, as we're going to see next week, they ran right at Peter and said, oh my gosh, what do we do? How, how do we respond to this? That's an amazing thing. All right. I want to just talk to you as we close very quickly about actually one main point. Our job is to help people see the true Jesus. In other words, we can't expect people to get it by just opening a Bible and having them read a Bible verse. All God's people said with me, please. Evangelism isn't about teaching facts. Evangelism is about connecting dots for people. That's what that's about. Because they can't see it otherwise. You're not hanging up a photo and saying, this is Jesus, please believe in him. That's not how this works. Peter's helping us to, to understand that, that even Jewish people who grew up in the synagogue and knew the scriptures inside and out because they were raised that way, Peter still had to do a timeout and pause and say, this is the prophet Joel, this is what happened, this is what happened to Jesus, this is where we are, let me... Try to draw this thing out for you. Let me give you two ways to do that. By asking the connect the dot questions. Questions are always better than statements, church. Does that make sense? So if you're trying to share Jesus with somebody, try not to start out with a statement. Start out with a question. And what is our first question? Do you remember? Who is Jesus? Who's Jesus to you? That sounds like a very simple question, doesn't it? It's a powerful one, though. Who is Jesus? Second question. What happened to him? What happened to Jesus? Third, 
How is he connected to the, to the Jewish Old Testament? How is he the Messiah? Is he the one that the Jewish people were waiting for for thousands of years? Is, is he the same guy? How does that fit in? And then, of course, you want to get to that fourth question that we're going to get to next week, and it's what? What are you going to do with that now? You got the answers now. What are you going to do with that? Let me give you the last one as we close. That's, that's a good Q&A. That's a good connecting of the dots. But the most powerful way to evangelize is by personally living out the Holy Spirit-filled life. It is. That's powerful. The Holy Spirit being poured out in my life is proof that Jesus is who he said he was, that what happened to him happened, that he was connected to all those Old Testament prophecies. He's resurrected, sitting at the right hand of God, and he is God. And what am I going to do with that? I'm going to embrace that, believe that, hold on to it, and let God pour out into my life. And I want every single person to see it. And all God's people said, please. That's what I'm going to do. So you may not receive my Q&A, but you're not going to deny that I'm different than I was. Because God's doing a transformative work in my life. My question is, is he doing it in yours? How about we close with that today in prayer, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thanks for the goodness of your person, for calling us to your table. I pray for anyone who is here today who doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Maybe go back and ask those questions. Who is Jesus? What happened to him? How is he connected to the Old Testament? Is, is he the Jewish Messiah that was supposed to come, not only for the Jews, but also, also for the Gentiles, the light of the Gentiles, the Bible says. Now, what are you going to do with that? It's very simple. Just pray. Just talk to God. He'll listen to you. Tell him that you are a sinner, that you're broken spiritually, morally, that you can't do anything to make that right. And just tell him that you're receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. It's not a complicated process. And if that truly is your heart, the Holy Spirit will come, be poured out in you, and transform your life. And you're going to be different. At least you should be. So we pray for that, God. We pray for those of us who do know Jesus. I'm going to pinpoint that last one, Lord. I, I want to live a transformed life. I want the Holy Spirit being poured out on to me all the time. I want to constantly be filled so that I'm a living witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he is ascended and at the right hand of God. And someday he's going to come back for me. I'm going to live my life like that. I pray that for those who are here as well. Bless us with that, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, please. Amen. Thank you, church. God's peace to you.